On this episode of Comedy Rewind, has Kevin Smith's clerks lost all its shock value after 25 years? Have independent comedies become less relevant with the rise of YouTube? Is there anything more dated than a thriving video rental store? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Comedy Rewind, the rewatch podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. Thanks to all our Patreon supporters, you made it happen, and I'm here, John O'Peck, your host, joined by the hosts of the BitStorm podcast, the Jay and Silent Bob of the 8-Bit Collective, I guess. <laughs> Which one's the silent one? <laughs> it's true. That Ben Slinger and Travis Scott. Yeah, maybe Jay and Randall's probably more accurate. I've got the hair. I've got the Jay hair. It's not blonde, but it's pretty long. Yeah, uh, Trevor's go. got a bit of a silent, a silent Bob vibe <laughs> yeah. going on. Like. I've got, I've got the coat. <laughs> You're like the <laughs> the true, silent Bob, true. maybe in chasing Amy when he decides to talk for like three minutes straight. <laughs> Trevor does talk. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks for having us. We're very glad to be here. Yeah, glad to glad to have you here. You guys want to give a quick plug to to what your show is all about? Bitstorm is a comedy game design podcast by two guys. That's Trevor and I, who know nothing about comedy nor game design. And uh, each week we generally take random words and turn them into game designs that are funny or interesting. And and then we throw them away and and do a few more. It's great fun. And the good thing is you can jump in at the latest episode. There's no storyline to go to go with <laughs> yep. occasionally we do some callbacks but then you just have to go for a like a choose your own adventure and find out which episodes it was that we referenced <laughs> fantastic yeah. well clerks is a movie that you guys are a bit older than me so i'm hoping it probably means a bit more to you as people that maybe grew up with it i came to it much later in life i, I should say we're talking about clerks today it's, <laughs> that's not obvious enough from the episode title and the thumbnail and everything we're talking about kevin smith's clerks a melodramatic day in the life of two store clerks in new jersey yeah so what are your early memories of this film uh well actually so before we before i rewatched it yesterday i took some notes because yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to taint my memories with it with the rewatch. Um, I wanted to sort of go back in time and and remember. But so it came out in '94. I was 13 at the time, so I didn't actually see it when it sort of was first released. Like it's not something I saw at the movie. It was it was rated R. Yeah, probably still too. Uh, young. But I do remember seeing it and being intrigued by it on the shelves of my local video store. You know, the old mm. big chunky VHS cases. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. There's lots of them in this movie. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really my first memory of it, and I remember seeing it up there on the on the wall and had the sort of the funky, funky writing and stuff. And and then yeah, for me, it wasn't until I think I saw Chasing Amy and maybe even more ads before then going back and seeing Clerks. I think Chasing Amy mm-hmm. was the first Kevin Smith film that I saw. But then yeah, that so I don't know, maybe sixteen, seventeen. And then it became a classic, right? Then it was, that's sort of the right age for that sort of thing. And, and yeah. the, the humor <laughs> and the filthiness of it and, and how sort of, yeah, just, just shameless it was around a lot of, a lot of the things. What about you, Trevor? Well, my parents had um, Optus Vision, the, uh, like the Kmart version of Foxtel back in the day um, in around 96. <laughs> and one day I'm surfing around movie one, movie two, and... I see this black and white film come up and I'm immediately wanting to switch black and white. to the next channel. But then I heard the word Star Wars <laughs> and they were in the middle of the, um, of the Star Wars scene. And I'm like, 
I think I might just sit down and watch the rest of this. And then as soon as it finished, I went on to movie one plus two, which was the two hours later version and watched the whole movie again. (laughs) That's great. And yeah, so I didn't know anything about it going in and just sat there like gobsmacked. Like it was just an amazing experience to to see for the first time and realizing that I liked a black and white comedy. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you? Uh, 16. Yeah, so ninety six, so old enough to watch it, almost. Ish. <laughs> yeah. I I think Getting I was there. like nineteen or twenty when I first saw it, and it was very much something that I'd heard of. There was, you know, there's obviously a kind of a mythos around it as the origin. It's kind of the the genesis of Kevin Smith's career. Really, it's his oh, pr- propelling him into stardom and into becoming essentially one of the most popular filmmaking personalities we've ever had. Uh, from very humble beginnings Hmm. it's really the ultimate low budget success story and i think it's been an inspiration to so many people because of just the nature in which it was created where you know kevin smith as we know had twenty seven thousand dollars to make it and he maxed out something like 10 credit cards and sold off his comic book collection and yeah and it was filmed where he worked during the day and then at night (sighs) he went in and filmed until like 4 a.m and then got up the next day probably feeling much like Dante does at the start of the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that there's kind of that... Um, what do you want? It's, it's like a, almost like a purple haze around this film, for, for, especially for film buffs. And I just, you know, you heard references to it. And then I finally watched it after probably similar to you, Ben, having seen like Dogma or something else before. Yeah. And you knowing like th- that it all started with Clerks. So... From that point of view, I think you kind of need that context to watch it, knowing that it was the beginning. And to me, in that sense, it's almost like going back and listening to your favorite band's early EP or something where Mm. things are a bit dirty and the instruments aren't quite in tune or it wasn't mixed or mastered properly. So it's it's very rough around the edges and you kind of have to appreciate that when you rewatch it, I think. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to come into it you know, you, you can't just take it at its face value now. Mm. Uh, I realize 25 years later, almost exactly, um, later this year will be the 25-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. you really, you have to go in knowing, oh, this is a low-budget film. It was, yeah, it was made literally in a convenience store uh, on actual film. Uh, you know, yeah. that you can imagine how expensive and why you had to max all that stuff out. Like, you think of it, think about it today, and I know we're going to sort of get to this later, but you could film this on a on an iPhone today, mm. right? And, it'd and it be would look better, better quality. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it, the technology just wasn't there. So, yeah. um, well, it also yeah. you know the the budget just uh, determined whether it was going to be color or, or black and white. They realized they could get more black and white film uh, for for the money rather than half the amount for for color. Yeah, I read that the black and white was mostly influenced by not being able to get consistent yeah. lighting in different scenes Mm -hmm. or in different settings, sorry. And so that black and white kind of masks over that issue. So quite a, quite ingenious and thrifty decision there from Kevin Smith. Well, that's it. And it's such an interesting film because it doesn't feel like other films in a lot of ways. And, and part of that is that there is sort of this, you know, this amateur vibe running through it. Mm. Um, Although some of the performances I found were actually like, I remember them being worse than they were. Um, yep. Yeah. You know, a lot of it, of course, it's it's so much of just the talking heads. You know, two shot, two people talking. Yeah. That the performances, 
you know, really, I guess they could have been more subtle and they could have been uh, a bit more nuanced. But I, I remember the stuttering and the kind of the cadence of it as very much this amateur kind of amateur actors just yeah. they've learned their lines off by <laughs> off by heart and they're just reeling them off but it wasn't as jarring as i recalled it, it's a good point you make like there's a sense like it feels sometimes like they're they're just basically mouthpieces for kevin smith talking and <laughs> I, I get the same kind of feeling when i watch aaron sorkin movies and the dialogue where it's all snappy and they're all like they all know exactly what to say and it's back yeah. and forth and Especially when Dante's kind of sitting there talking to his girlfriend and I don't know if it's because of the amateur actors or that it's just what Kevin Smith was aiming for, but yeah, it loses a little bit of realism despite Mm. the awesome dialogue that he'd written, I think. Well, that's it. There's just something about the, like how quick people come back with the next line. Yeah. Yeah. sometimes quicker than would make sense right yeah it, it doesn't feel like an, a natural a natural flowing conversation but you're right like the the lines themselves the script itself is is so snappy and, and funny uh you kind of forgive it i guess mm. i've got an early hot take on this and it's that i didn't find it incredibly funny as a rewatch we're, you know we're talking about comedies here a lot of it is about the humor itself but i mm-hmm. feel like I, as much as I appreciated it for how important it was, and I, I do think it's a really authentic look at 90s adulthood, but the humor is a lot of it probably coming from the shock value of seeing people talk in this kind of realistic way and openly discussing sex and relationships and drugs and whatever it is. I feel like watching it now, that stuff has been done so much more that it doesn't hold the same humor or the same shock value that it would have at the time. Does that ring true for you guys yeah for sure the shock value definitely is in there it's it was just hard for me as well as i think trevor said i've watched it so many times now that there there aren't any surprises Mm. um so it is hard to put yourself in the mindset of of watching it for the first time so it would be really interesting actually to show Mm. it to someone for the first time now who's used to modern movies and and get their point of view you know watching it again i still laugh at all the things that i've always laughed at (laughs) but it may just be my my memory of you know, 37 or something like that. Yeah. It always just makes me laugh. Like, I mean, it's possible. Like I watched Happy Gilmore for that episode one and laughed at stupid stuff that I laughed at when I was a kid. So maybe yeah. it's bringing it back for you. Whereas I watched this as an adult, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and for us, it's become so much a part of our kind of vernacular. Yeah. Like still to this day, you hear anything with the number 37 and particularly, <laughs> if, I'm, particularly if I'm around Trevor or, or some of our friends, like all you have to do is is just say 37 and they exa- and they know exactly what you, you're going at. And yeah. they may come back with try not to suck any dicks on the way through the parking right. lot, but yeah. they don't have to, you know, it's not as necessary. <laughs> 37 in a row? Wow. Yeah, in a row. <laughs> Speaking of 37, do you guys know what this was on Rotten Tomatoes? No, no, I, I didn't look. I haven't looked it up. Let's hear you. Let's hear uh, some guesses. Like, what do you think the reception say, would have been at the time? Oh, at the time, because yeah, because do they only take a certain yeah time all, period after I think release? it's kind of current, like when the movie came out. I'd mm. say it's fresh. So I'll go mm-hmm. seventy-four. I, yeah, I would think it would be fresh. It is fresh. Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna say sort of yeah around eighty-ish. It was eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Actually. Okay. Eighty-eight. Yeah. Wow. I thought that it would be lower based on just how crass it is and the kind of am- amateurish. It was but- a bit of a critical mm. darling at the time because of, I think, just how different it was. And it like, 
you know, they showed it at Sundance and it, it was sort of this uh, underdog coming out of nowhere. So, mm, yeah, that makes yeah sense. I'm not entirely surprised. But it's true, like, you wouldn't expect it from a modern sort of point of view that, that a movie like that would be so critically acclaimed. Yeah, and I guess mm. it was kind of an era of the breakout of the indie movie where even, you know, it was also the era of grunge as well where you're like, oh, people can do this thing, they can go big without going through the studios or they can do it off their own bat and it's it might have been becoming a bit more woke for the time to appreciate mm-hmm. what can be done off your own back yeah 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 i mean one of the things that i find quite interesting is one of the dvd sets i have has the original cut and it also has like the theatrical cut the original cut still doesn't have all the music because that was added after sundance so it makes me wonder yeah. <laughs> whether people reviewed the film from sundance which didn't have a lot of the music that we're now used to hearing in the in the film mm. and how different that would be and i was going to i was going to watch it today but i didn't quite have the time to find a um <laughs> a region free dvd player <laughs> <laughs> now does that original cut have the original ending yes it where does. dante gets murdered basically yeah uh, dante oh, yeah. gets shot um yeah. just after sort of randall leaves at the end and right. which is such a downer and i'm so glad that it got removed <laughs> yep. and not only because then we get to see uh, Dante show up in uh, later films and in, I mean, and specifically in Clerks 2. But yeah, after, I feel like it's actually got quite a good ending. And again, this might be nostalgia, but there's just a certain feeling to each sort of segment of the movie. It's, it really does have a, an emotional arc, even though, I don't know, so a lot of it is disconnected. And I mean, intentionally so, you know, you get those title cards coming up with with each little section and it's sort of uh you know they're they're separated in that way but the feeling after they have their big fight and they sort of make up and Hmm. randall struts out the door (laughs) the ending just works it just feels i don't know it's sort of an uplifting feeling to that ending and yeah to to then (laughs) just have someone come in and shoot him and leave him for dead Uh, (laughs) yeah i i wonder if i don't think that they would have the reviews would have been on that version at the 88 percent fresh yeah. so no i suspect not yeah but it's just it's just very interesting to know that there's two different cuts out there and the the original cut is yeah. um is sans music because music was part of the big budget that that um you know was added by the by miramax well and i find that interesting because the music to me is a big part of it and i actually made a note of like the music choices are really, they really help the movie, you know. Mm. To me, they're kind of, they're an integral part of each of those scenes. And yeah, I, I, actually, I haven't seen the cut without it. So that would be actually really interesting to watch. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Speaking of music, the number one song when the movie was released was Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You, which is <laughs> at the top of the charts for 14 uh-huh. weeks. Uh-huh. Uh, pretty good, pretty good effort there from the boys. Mm. So that's just to kind of set the scene of, where things were at in uh, in '94. <laughs> That's a really good thing to bring up on this on this show. It really <laughs> kind of gives you that that sense of the time, doesn't it? Yeah, especially mm-hmm. for those people who were alive in the '90s, or at least yeah. um, you know, a teenager in the '90s. You sort of remember. Oh, I remember when that song came out, and 
you know, going through probably, what, year seven, year eight at the time. Yeah, I think music is one of those things that teleports you back instantly. And that's yep. why, like, any time you watch a movie where there's, like, a flashback to, like, 1970 or something, like, instantly <laughs> it starts with a song from that year. And it always kind of <laughs> yep. sets the scene. Definitely. So, the next question is what have you done for me lately and for pretty much everyone in this film the answer is not much i know that kevin smith's continued to make films but the, the pace has kind of slowed down and the askew universe products have also tapered off and it's not really until uh jay and silent bob 2 comes out shortly that we're gonna see what's happening in that world again i think what was the last time was was it clerks 2 or was yeah, it clerks 2 was the last uh, askew universe film which is more than 10 years ago now, isn't it? Yeah, 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone in the film has continued to work, like, I guess, from the main cast, but you have to say they're well known and almost only known for what they've done in Kevin Smith movies. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, particularly the side uh, the side characters, you know, half of them are just his friends from high school. Yeah. Uh, who, <laughs> or who his mum. <laughs> yeah, or his mum. Well, actually, I, I have a note here of noticing Walt Flanagan in two roles, mm. in two scenes, one after the other. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's the, the guidance counsellor trying to get the perfect uh, dozen eggs. And then immediately after he's there getting offended as uh, Randall talks about Jews moppers. Yeah, that was really <laughs> jarring that they just went from... <laughs> that one scene to the next i was like are we supposed to notice this they didn't even really put a fake mustache on him or anything um and i mean scott Mosier was in there quite a few times there was one scene where he was he was down the bottom as as like willem and up the top as as the guy fighting to get into the store so and one he had a beard and one he didn't and you could tell it was filmed at a totally different time it's funny because he probably thought at the time no one's going to recognize this guy, but now he's somewhat of a celebrity. We know Scott Mosier from whether it's his work with Kevin Smith or the podcast. And it's like, hmm, there's Scott again and there's Scott again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was the most 90s moment for you guys? I mean, just obviously the fact that Randall works in a video store <laughs> pretty much dates it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, RST. That's pretty what heavily. <laughs> RST video. I mean, it could have uh, also happened in 2002 or 2004 and still been... Like, we were still renting that's videos. True, that's true. It's more the fact that there was a video store and when he had to call up the distributor to get um, videos, <laughs> it was on a landline. Like, yeah. not on a mobile phone or at least on a cordless or something like true. that. So, it really locked it into the 90s for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I'm not a big fashion person as such but there were definitely some hairstyles and some fashion choices that uh that felt pretty pretty 90s time, yeah. in there yep yeah i had a very yeah. specific moment for me and it was using what looks like a payphone but i guess it's like the staff phone uh in, in the clerks in the in the quick stop to check a misprint mm -hmm. in the classifieds engagement yep. notices <laughs> like that is like peak 90s just about yes that's with, true just Absolutely, with the newspaper yeah. and like yeah okay well even just the fact that yeah that the engagement notice is in a newspaper yep and I mean, that is um, a kind of traditional thing. I got married in 2013 and my parents and my wife's parents did this. I guess it's a tradition where they both pay half to get this classified. They're announcing the engagement. Um, so I guess that is still a thing, but okay. it, it's a very, it surprised yeah. me. So I guess yeah. that shows that it's a thing from a previous <laughs> era. You know, previous the fact era. that it was something my my parents wanted to do it and I had never heard of it. 
that, that's that's my favorite thing and yeah i also had the fact that there's a video store there and you know how thriving it is there's like <laughs> customers all day just coming yeah in like and- literally waiting there to for it to open so they can get a specific movie Oh, there you go. Another most 90s moment is when the guy in the video store name checks Navy SEALs. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> yeah, that, there aren't too many pop culture references in there. Surprisingly, actually, for Kevin Smith, obviously, there's the Star Wars discussion. Yep. But uh, yeah, that's probably the only other big one. And I did notice some of some of the films behind um, behind them during that scene. One of them was Death yeah. Becomes Her, which is very very nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and there were a few others that I can't remember right off the top of my head. I just remember seeing it like in three different spots because they had like three copies behind them. <laughs> it was a popular movie. <laughs> yeah, it must have been Bruce Willis, Gina Davis. Yeah. I think. Yeah, there you go. It's the first time Bruce Willis within was in a Kevin Smith film. <laughs> <laughs> and later, later they go on to make you know cop out which kevin smith is still trying to forget about i think but yeah i actually saw kevin smith when i was in america like he he did his live performance an evening with kevin smith and talked extensively yep. about working with bruce willis and how he never wanted to do it again <laughs> most iconic scene what did you guys have i don't know i i love i love the 37 i love all the jay and silent bob scenes i think they're fantastic like Berserker and <laughs> all those sort of They're great little interstitials. Um, uh, it's amazing how far Jay and Silent Bob have come considering how small a part they actually have in this movie. Yep, but 100% the most iconic scene to me has to be like a scene that's not even in the film. It's the funeral scene. Like it mm. doesn't happen okay. in the film, but it's it's you see before and after and it's just that that sort of the discussion around it that that makes it quite mm-hmm. iconic to me that it makes me feel like I've always seen what actually happened there even though it was camera. like many years later that they finally they finally showed it yeah that's, that's interesting what did you have Ben uh so I, I wrote some stuff down before I watched it again just to sort of use my my key memories from it uh, and funnily enough, the the whole intro sequence to me is very iconic for it because it really does, it sets the tone for the movie in a big way. Um, it's got the music going. It's sort of, he's setting up all the stuff and he's, you know, the locks are jammed and he's doing the, the shoe polish and he's getting the, stealing the papers from the whatever and getting his quarterback. And I don't know, that, that whole sequence. And, and again, this might just be a lot of nostalgia from watching it so many times, but it really, yeah, it really just gets me into that mood um for this film it like kicks it off and then he's behind the de- behind the counter and you know his day starts and that that just really that's felt it. yeah very iconic to me yeah i think i have to agree with you well both of you in in some aspects because i've jotted down three contenders for this question the first one was the opening scene i think it's so relatable getting that phone call that's asking you to come into work or whatever it might be it might be someone saying can you come over and help me like move house or like there's just we can all relate to not wanting to get out of bed but (laughs) having to go and do something that we don't want to do and it it really is kind of the theme of the movie as well so i find that that is quite iconic and uh the 37 you mentioned that <laughs> yep. Trevor it's hard to go past that but something that that hasn't been mentioned yet the Star Wars contractors yeah. conversation that yep. exchange is something that pretty much encapsulates Kevin Smith 
in a lot of ways and kind of is the almost the biggest thing that points towards what the future of his movies is going to be it's like. True. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had that on my list too, actually, uh, as a contender. And one of the things, I mean, he's known for talking about Star Wars, obviously, in his movies and, and pop culture in general and comic books. Uh, one of the most interesting things about that, though, is, of course, the discussion was before any of the prequels, before any of the further sequels, before any of the extended mm. universe stuff, like, really all that was there was the three, the three movies. But it's still so relevant. Uh, you know, 25 years later, everyone's still talking about Star Wars and it's that's still an interesting conversation. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and I guess just that digging into the minutiae of like, okay, contractors, you know, <laughs> do they deserve to die? Do they not deserve to die? Like that is such a kind of a Kevin Smith thing. Oh, it's also a very like Tarantino-esque mm. kind of thing. And that was kind of in the zeitgeist of the time to maybe start digging into those conversations in film. So to me, that, that stood out a lot. And because of, maybe it's because knowing Clerks 2 is coming and the kinds of conversations that happen in that film, <laughs> it stood out to me as kind of setting the table for what we're going to get a bit later on. <laughs> Yeah, he definitely doubled down in Clerks 2 on, on yeah. a lot of that sort of stuff. <laughs> so what do you reckon holds up the best in Clerks? I'd have to say the friendship between Randall and, and Dante actually it rings true. So therefore, to me, it, it feels like it's one of the better things of the mm. entire movie. Even though they have a fight during it, you can still see <laughs> the, the friendship between them. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. It might be, again, knowing what comes in Clerks 2 and seeing... It's kind of like we're seeing the... Not the origin, because they've clearly been friends for a while, but we're yeah. seeing early, earlier days and, and knowing that they remain friends for a long time kind of makes that uh, a bit more relevant. But it, it definitely gives you the sense that not only do they know each other really well, but they're the kind of friends that can have a fight and make up and kind of... Yep. look out for each other even though they're both very selfish in their own ways and not afraid of kind of hurting each other <laughs> i i guess we can also maybe relate to those types of friendships especially in the younger stupider years that we've all experienced oh definitely yeah for sure i hadn't thought of that either as something that that holds up but that is a really good point uh trevor yeah i, I agree like having that friend who kind of calls you on your shit uh like randall mm. does and, and just sort of says it like it is and 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 that does tend to i mean for randall it didn't as we see in clerks too but that de does tend to go away a bit i think as you get older so it is sort of of that age early 20s and people yeah i don't know kind of haven't haven't necessarily matured out of that sort of behavior yet but that it works well for that friendship and kind of it, the, the friendship does ring true i agree that's a good yep. point and it's also a, a period in your life where Clearly, from what we see with Dante, he is making lots of poor choices. And not that we're all perfect when we get older, we still make bad choices. But that's really a time where I guess people are f figuring out who they are. That's, a, I think, a pretty big theme of this movie is that young adulthood and the stupid things people do and the way they treat each other and the way they talk to each other. And seeing, like you said, they're looking out for each other. They're giving advice they're calling people out when they need to yep. and yeah you're right like that's a time where people need that because it's when you're becoming who you're going to be as an adult yeah whether it's that you went to high school together and are still friends or college friends or you, you know what have you your friends are so formative in that time right that's really that's who forms so much of your personality and helps you to yeah to find your way 
you know, generally before, mm. as you get older, it tends to be more of a, you know, whether you're in a romantic relationship with, with someone or, or whatever, like that, that's who sort of drives you in that way in your, in your twenties. It's definitely your friends. Yep. The other thing that I, that I thought held up really well was surprisingly the choice of black and white. I think if it was color at this stage with inconsistent lighting, it wouldn't have that same sort of same sort of appeal to me. Like, yeah, I, there's a nostalgia attached to it too. I can sit yeah. there through a black and white, and the and it helps the nostalgia. Whereas, you know, poor lighting would actually harm my yeah. enjoyment of this film. So, I think the black and white is actually another thing that um, makes this film hold up and, and keeps me going back mm. for rewatches. Absolutely, yeah, that's a really good point because you're right. Like, using it to cover cover that up. If you'd look back at it now, it would just feel like a super amateur, you know, early first film. It would feel like a $27,000 yeah. movie instead of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. It, instead of... It's, it sits very very nicely alongside Chasing Amy, which is a $250,000 picture, but you can sort of st- still see that if they had that sort of that sort of um, budget, like the $250,000, it would, it would be, be basically okay mm. to have clerks in... Color. Yeah. I uh, I had the relationship advice from Jay and Silent Bob. I I find that that like when when that scene happened, I was like, yeah, that's so true. And I probably still know people that need to hear something like that. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other bit of dialogue that held up for me was the uh, anti-cigarette speech comparing the the clerk to to Nazis because that happens all the time on the internet. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> It's, it's like, true. you know, what's um, the anyone that's following orders, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist, you know. <laughs> it's it's a very early scene in the film and one that it was one of the few that I guess I hadn't seen the movie for a while, so I didn't remember it was coming and it made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah, well, that's always good. <laughs> and it's the first of many many references to Nazis that Kevin Smith would then put into his later career, especially in the podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't shy away from throwing on a b- terrible German accent. <laughs> I guess if you can't make fun of Nazis, you can. <laughs> There's something that I had, and this is going to segue really well into what holds up the worst, because the conversation is both the best and worst of what holds up, and that's the Empire versus Jedi discussion. I think the opinion that uh, Empire Strikes Back is the better of the Star Wars movies. I think that holds up really well. That seems like the consensus now, just about. Whereas uh, uh, Randall saying that it's Return of the Jedi, that doesn't hold up well for me at all. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you'd be hard-pressed to find any any big Star Wars fan defending Return of the Jedi that strongly. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. So what did you guys have for holding up the worst? I think the whole Caitlin Bree having sex with a dead guy really... (laughs) Felt a, a little bit too much on the nose for me. Um, that yeah didn't okay. didn't quite fit her character. I mean, look, and that was always a bit out there. Yep. How can it not be? Yeah. Well, uh, that's it. Like uh, that was always a shocking scene. I'm not sure that it's that it, to me. It's not that it doesn't hold up. It's more that yeah, it was always a shocking scene and always always kind of fucked up Mm. um is it does it not hold up that it's kind of played for laughs where like they do acknowledge uh, that it's something that's going to scar her for life but i don't know is it something that now if it was in a film you'd kind of go uh that's a a mark against the movie yeah 
yeah, I think it's it kind of shows its age in the fact that you could never you could never see that in a in a comedy movie nowadays. Yeah, that is true. I, I fact, will definitely concede that I think you'd be hard pressed even in an R-rated movie to get that scene in there now. As much as I love it, the Jizmopper scene, I don't think you'd you'd ever see hear that sort of um, comedy again in an R-rated film. Maybe in NC seventeen, they uh, seem to go a little bit more PG. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on whether we're going by Australian yeah, or correct. American rating things, but. I don't know. I, I feel like that could make its way into into you know a, a very adult film like a, a Seth Rogen kind of mm. uh, you Jad know R rated yeah. or something. Judd Apatow something. But they definitely wouldn't have an uncensored bloody vagina on the screen or a Volvo. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> That's that true. did happen. That did happen. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I saw it in all its HD glory. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. Look for me. For me, some of the jokes. Uh, there, there are a few homophobic and transphobic jokes, which, you know, again, at the time, there just wasn't that awareness uh, as such yep. of of how damaging that can be. And Randall comes back from Big Store, what is it? Like, big Choice, big choice or, Video, yep. uh, with hermaphroditic porn and and goes on, a, you know, that that, yeah, that really would not fly. <laughs> uh, really would not no. fly today and kind of made me cringe. Best of um, both worlds, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, I, I was actually I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised with how few how few jokes there were that sort of punched down in that way, or that were just you know not that were unaware that were that were of their time. He doesn't mm. rely on sexism or or homophobia, you know, no. very much at all. Uh, yeah, that's which, a good yeah, point. I found I, that, I th- yeah, I thought that the the women got a pretty fair shake as far as being the ones that were probably in the right for most of those discussions. Like I, I didn't feel like he was, yep. you know, trying to make any comments about women being crazy or that kind of thing that, no, exactly. Yeah. The characters might've been thinking that, but we could see that they were the ones that were wrong. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, and Kevin Smith, you know, is quite good with this in general. He didn't rely on too many, too many sexist tropes about women and, and, you know, particularly around sex and that sort of thing, they they kind of had their own, yeah, their own reasons for everything that made sense. And yeah, I also had the gay slurs not holding up great. Uh, and as you mentioned, it was a clearly different social context at the time in the '90s. But after watching this, I was I was watching um, Aziz Ansari's latest comedy special, and he makes the point that even in The Hangover, which was only something like seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. The same gay slurs were used in the trailer for that movie and nobody really batted an eyelid or kicked up a stink about it. So even in that short amount of time, we've come quite a long way as far as what's acceptable yeah. and what's considered oh, yeah. offensive. I agree. It's it's really been the last, you know, latter half of this last decade even. You know, I've I've been rewatching Community and Pierce is is constantly calling things gay. And I mean that's obviously part of his character in that sense, but even even so, I feel like being made today, and that's within the past, you know, past de- decade, just about. Uh, I, I don't think it would, I don't think it would get get past, you know. Yeah, that's curious. Yeah, interesting. And I, I don't know, like, I, th- I think there's room for characters who are bad people to be on shows because it's kind of shining a light on the fact that it's not appropriate to talk in certain ways. So yeah. I don't know if we need to do away with that altogether but then again i'm not one of the people that is the target of those jokes so it's 
maybe not for me to say. It's true. And and I think it really comes down to whether that the usage of something like that, even if it's a, a shitty person, is then normalizing that or actually exploring it in some useful, critical way. Mm. Yeah. And I guess that's where context is always the key. So yeah. it can go both ways. So one of the the last things that I had as holding up badly was I thought the physical gags in the movie, there weren't a lot of them, but there were a few like uh, Dante sleeping in the closet at the start of the movie. Uh, the, the, the fight in the shop where I think one of them grabs a breadstick and hits the other guy. Like it's, it's kind of funny, but then like the rest of the movie being so realistic, those yeah. things kind of stood out to me as kind of hammy and a bit kind of corny for a movie like this. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that, but I, I agree. It comes off as a bit too cartoonish. Yeah, uh, for the rest. I can of the see movie. like I can see Kevin Smith sitting there thinking this will be this will be funny, and maybe it was, but it, it's just it, it's a little jarring, like to add that kind of Looney Tunes style humor to something that's in every other aspect completely realistic. And I guess Jay, his whole character, kind of pulls you out of that every time he talks. Like a person like that just can't exist. It's Uh, true. And and look, so many of the, uh, I mean, he's, he's interesting because a lot of the gay slurs came from Jay uh, with his sort of just, just spouting off his verbal diarrhea. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. He's such a, he's such a character, whether he's very cartoonish (laughs) and he's sort of this weird you know, misogynist, sex-driven cartoon character in these movies. Not So not that you necessarily forgive it, but I just... He's such a... a ca- yeah, I don't know, one of a kind. How do you... How do you yeah. do Jay without Jay? Yeah, that's it. And we all kind of yeah. knew someone when we were in high school that was that hyper kind of over-sexualized, like it's, hyperactive... That's true, just, actually. It's you know, not entirely unrealistic. Probably medicated... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so who would be the most offended by this film in 2019? I know you guys are very socially aware. You changed the name of your podcast because you didn't want to offend people. So you've, you're coming kind of from a background where you are thinking about these things. So I'm interested what you think about a film that you love, you know, grew up with. Who Do you think that there's a, a part of the world that probably wouldn't be happy about seeing this happen now? Look, I... I'm not sure anyone knew would be offended by it that wasn't offended by it when it came out, other than the the homophobic and transphobic stuff that we've already mm. spoken about. Uh, I, I think that's really the key, uh, the key change in sort of awareness. There are definitely going to be people who are offended by a lot of the jokes and a lot of the scenes in this movie, but they were probably offended by it 25 years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. I thought that there was a couple like shots at Chinese people that probably didn't need to be in there, like. There's a, a joke about opium, which is, you know, a, a stereotype from yes. years and years and years ago. Just the fact that they continually say, like, Asian design major. Like, it's it's always just that <laughs> emphasis on the fact that this person's Asian, which it's, it's not malicious in and of itself, but it kind of makes you think, like, are they... Or is it? Like, are they yeah. making fun of the fact that she's engaged to an Asian it's guy? It's interesting because I, I think even the article says Asian design major, like, <laughs> in the paper. In the newspaper. Uh, and maybe it would fun. have. I don't know at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, but that that's true. That probably, that, that's something that, that would definitely cause offence. And, and just, it's just unnecessary. Trevor, you are going to say yeah, something? I, I definitely think that even if you were, like, offended by one scene, 
it doesn't stick around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a couple of scenes in there that you go, oh my God, that's kind of offensive. And then it's never sort of talked about again. So it's not, it's not like a, a through line that actually happens throughout this film, except for the Asian design major. So I, I, yeah, I'm sort of with Ben. I don't think anyone knew really would be offended nowadays, mm. but um, I think if you were offended 25 years ago, you're still going to be offended <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, I guess people that would be most offended would be people who don't like hearing uh, the types of conversations that are happening constantly throughout this movie. Um, people who don't like the C word, because that's yeah. said a few times in the, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the video title. Yes, <laughs> it is. Interesting. I read a trivia note that he he refused to speak those dialogue with the kid actually in the room, so they had to kind of <laughs> do it with two different. Which is that's fair. Yeah, it's, that's it's fair. very uh, it's very thoughtful. <laughs> but it, Happy yeah. scrappy hero pop. <laughs> oh man, Trevor, how dare you? That's disgusting. <laughs> so does clerks pass the internet relevancy test via memes and gifs? I think the kind of black and white and low res nature means that they don't hold up so well in in those in gifs and that kind of thing what did you guys think um i did do a few searches mm. um i typed in randall and it was like the fifth gif down yep. i typed in dante and it was like the fifth or sixth gif down so it's still there like you can still find find stuff yeah um you can find them but, but i was it... thinking okay what's what's Sorry. the most quotable thing and i'm like 37 I typed in 37, and it wasn't even on the first uh, page. Yeah. No. So it's not quite as quotable. I think and, and... it's such a non-visual film in so many ways that yeah. there aren't those sorts of scenes that really make their way into GIFs. And, you know, the quotes definitely do just in a, in a text nature or, you know, in, in conversation, as I said, this it's still yeah. something that that our friends bring up. But from a meme point of view, yeah, I definitely don't recall seeing Clerks memes pop up anywhere ever yeah i think there are some lines that have kind of kept it relevant in terms of uh, i guess being memorable i sh- i assure you we're open and i'm not even supposed to be here today mm. there are a couple that you, you kind of <laughs> hear thrown around but as far as translating into memes and when i when i ask this question it's really like there are some go-to reactions and and memes that you just see from movies and like Lord of the Rings has a million of them and there's other comedies that we're going to get to in this podcast that are going to come up. But I think that it fails this test. And surprisingly, if you type in Clerks, like most of them, that most of the GIFs or GIFs that come up are from Clerks 2. And I think being Mm, color and, you know, there's a lot of Jay and Silent Bob and... Well, there's dance numbers and there's, you know, it's so so much more visual for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see a good berserker um yeah, i feel like it's a good reaction gif of some kind yeah okay i don't know how you get them into the the system to make them come up i've i've i'm always bewildered by that and i'd like to learn because i that sometimes there's one that i want to find and it's not there and other times things <laughs> pop up really quick so i'm like who's getting it in there so if anyone out there listening knows how you, you get a gif into the uh the searches I know that Facebook and Twitter have different searches as well. Yeah. You know, there's, there's layers going on here. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know how we can make that happen. <laughs> Speaking of, of uh, social media, would smartphones and social media ruin this movie? Um, so I had a couple. I, I think Caitlin wouldn't even turn up to the, um, wouldn't even turn up to the quick stop. Yeah. <laughs> I think she'd just, you know, it'd be a FaceTime message and 
you know, that's about it. Or FaceTime call. Yeah, I think perhaps. Although other. they talk every night. Like she shows up because I mean, I guess knowing that she could perhaps get onto him much more easily than than the next time they arranged to talk on the phone of an evening. Yeah, <laughs> would make a difference there. But if he had a mobile phone, she could get in touch with him then and there. Yeah, sort that's of thing. true. That's true. Um, she probably couldn't get. She to probably him at wouldn't home, take. So the, therefore, she she headed down. She there. probably wouldn't take the eight hour. Uh, a bus yep. ride or whatever it was train ride yeah I mean there's so much conversation in this film so much face to face interactions that I feel like you would lose a lot with smartphones and social media like all the conversations that happen with the girlfriend would probably happen via text you know the even like the drug deals that are happening outside <laughs> the quick stop would be happening via text that's, uh, that's you know. true although I, I don't know that like if you made this movie today, I don't know if those things if those things would seem out of place necessarily. Like, yes, they could happen via social media or text message or whatever. But you know, the girlfriend showing up to the store or or drug deals outside. I don't know. I feel like they could still fly today <laughs> and not yeah. be too out of place. Um, I wonder would Randall and Dante have as much interaction though? Because I feel like if you're a clerk and you're bored. And you have the time, you'd probably be scrolling through Twitter or something rather than. That's true. Oh, I'm going to go see what this guy's up to. Yeah, they'd probably just be texting back and forth as they as they scroll through their social social media. Yeah. Although that is where Dante would see the engagement message. It'd be like on Facebook, yeah. rather than in <laughs> yeah. the paper. So he'd be like uh, ringing up Facebook and saying, "Is there a mistake? <laughs> Get me Mark Zuckerberg. Report this post as suspicious." Yeah. <laughs> Um, one thing I did have here is that Caitlin probably wouldn't have fucked the dead guy because she'd have a light on her phone. Yes, and, that's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't have to. I didn't think of to that. Take a, you know, take a piss in the dark. Yeah, so smartphone may have fixed the movie. <laughs> but but then but then the the um guy that went at, went to the back with the porno mag, he probably wouldn't have gone with the porno mag, but he would have had his phone yeah, instead. That's so true. he still might have died. He's probably. There. Still might have died, but... Um. I feel like um, uh, Randall would have lost his job long ago if social media existed because there would be that many more ways for people to complain about him and film him and kind of <laughs> yeah. catch him in the act of, of being rude to customers. I don't <laughs> know if true. anyone could, could possibly talk to people the way I mean, even just Yelp reviews, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The clerk was horrible. The boss, like, checking in on them, like, occasionally on the the phone in the shop like i think he would have a security camera set up that he can monitor from an app on his phone and see that they're sitting behind the counter or they're with, selling drugs to, to four-year-old kids and with, with and clerks like that you definitely you definitely want your security camera yeah, up. yep absolutely could you make clerks in 2019 and what would the 2019 version be Jane Silent Bob reboot. <laughs> I had similar answer. I had Clerks Three, which is something that very nearly got made. They're mm-hmm. doing a table reading for it soon. He just talked about um, the plans for Clerks Three mm-hmm. uh, because of where Jane Silent Bob reboot leave Jane Silent Bob at the end. He really wants to go back, rewrite Clerks Three, get Jeff Anderson back on board, and leave um dante and randall in much the same sort of position that you know you can see where they'd be going forward because the original clerks 3 was very very bleak and about <laughs> death so he goes he loves the script that he wrote but he can sort he of see that it, it didn't do it didn't do right by the characters <clears> so <throat> he is still looking at doing a new version of clerks 3 but also reading through the original script for clerks 3 
um, around his birthday. Interesting. Interesting. Why, why hasn't this movie been made? Because I feel like, yes, it, it might not be something studios see as a viable project, but we're in a like Kickstarter age. Kevin Smith it was, has so much fan support. It was all because of Jeff Anderson, actually. He wasn't happy with okay. what happened after Clerks 2. Uh, basically, he he never got money for it, basically, um, even though it made bank like and made all its budget back and all that sort of stuff. Um, it was held up in... like purgatory for a long time so it took them until what was it 2015 or something like that to actually get paid for it how's that possible that's that's bizarre oh it's it's all all the fact that if you actually have a look into the way that um hollywood money actually works like there's so much in marketing and all this sort of stuff and everyone else gets paid before the talent um when it comes to uh back ends sort of thing okay so it's it's really really weird um, but also, I don't think Jeff Anderson was very happy with being involved with the Weinsteins again, and because sure. the Weinsteins actually own Clerks itself. Oh, yeah, that could so be a barrier going ahead. Mm. Or are they? Yeah, are they, are they not an issue anymore? I think he's kind got of a, like dealt well, with. Like they're not involved. They own Clerks itself, mm. uh, just like um, Universal own Mallrats. But uh, Kevin and Jay both own Jay and Silent Bob together so they can sort of use Jane Silent Bob for whatever they want but clerks they've got to actually um, huh. give first preference to um to the Weinsteins right but it's something that there's a weird a weird thing that goes on there that they can actually still do the movie but they just have to give first rights to the Weinsteins to actually mm. um pay for uh, really? pay for distribu- yeah, sure. distribution and that sort of okay. stuff so I guess it's been a minute, you know, 13 years since Clerks 2, but if we can use that as a kind of a barometer, I think that that proved that there is a way to kind of remake the same movie, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to find a way to make these guys in a new p- position in their life, but still the same characters and facing the grown-up version of whatever their issues mm. were at the time. So and I, I know I've heard Kevin say, like, Clerks was a movie about being in his 20s, Clerks 2 was a movie about being in his 30s. By the time Clerks 3 comes out, maybe it's a movie about being in your in your late 40s or 50s. Late 40s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And still working as a clerk? I don't know. But that's <laughs> maybe it's their kids are clerks? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but they, they do own the quick stop. Right. As, as of the that's, end of Clerks yeah, 2, right. spoiler, 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 mm. they do own the, own the quick stop. True. Um, they got out of the movies and, and headed back over to, to the quick stop where they... They now own their own business. Yeah. They work for themselves, which is where he wanted to leave them. Mm. That they sort of had a future. Sure. So interestingly, about remaking, about making the movie today, my mind actually meant went more to if you're making a movie about clerks in their twenties today, like what would yeah. what's that going to look like? Uh, and I mean, for one, I mean, for one, one of them is not going to be working in a video store, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> and it'd be color because it'd be filmed on an iPhone. But it does, like, are there movies yep. coming out? Like, it surprises me that there aren't, and maybe there aren't, I'm just not familiar with them, but aren't filmmakers today who are just doing that super low budget and making movies like this that are just clever and, you know, I guess they'd put them up on YouTube and get a following or whatever. Like, I, I sort of, obviously there are filmmakers who do that, but it doesn't feel the same as this where it's just mm. the snappy script and it's like super basic, but it just works because... It's something a bit different, you know? Yeah, I guess you'd really have to delve into, like, film buff territory to, to know what the equivalent is today because that was such a time where 
you know, we mentioned Quentin Tarantino and obviously Spike Lee was doing his thing and he got a shout out in the credits for kind of blazing the trail for this type of film to get made. So maybe it's just a different time now where something becomes a hit amongst a smaller subsection of people or maybe it's a really successful movie in Australia or in Canada, but it doesn't have the mass success that this did. It's true. It's probably just is, you know, stuff on YouTube, right? Like Hmm. people putting up sketches or putting up, yeah, I, I guess it's less common to see just someone, you know, do a whole feature film and throw it up on YouTube, but that's because of the way media has changed. You know, there are definitely plenty of, of comedy creators out there who start in their backyard and put it up on YouTube and get popular. So, mm. I mean, what I find really quite interesting is the last film to really get a full theatrical re- release here from Kevin Smith was actually uh, Zach and Mary. Like, after that, I mean, there was Red State, Tusk, and, and Yoga Hoses, but they didn't get a full theatrical release because he didn't have the um, didn't have the sort of draw power here in Australia anymore. So, if, I mean, if he can't get, you know, a wide release, then you're not going to get a, a wide release from any any um, sort of indie here mm, yeah. in Australia. You've got to rely on the Astor or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely true. interesting how Kevin Smith has sort of gone back into being much more of an indie filmmaker in a lot of ways. Uh, and I mean, yep. I th- he did that on purpose uh, because he sort of, he was over movie making for the big studios and, and then, you know, got way into podcasting and, and then the, the movies kind of came out of that. But uh, yeah, like so much of his stuff recently has been lower budget and limited release and, you know, just, just making the movies he wants to make. So uh, yeah, reboot. I mean, reboot is a big is actually a, a big departure from what he's been doing in recent years and i think it's a, sh- a shame like i don't know i haven't seen any of those movies that you mentioned those kind of lower budget ones mm-hmm. red state tusk and yoga hoses they didn't look like my style but i think he's got so much to say as a you know not only personality but as a writer and someone that's been through a lot in his life and we've always seen his experiences thrown up onto the the big screen uh mm. in in an interesting and funny way. So I really hope he does get back to, you know, working with Jason Lee and Jay and Silent Bob. And well, he, he got Affleck back for reboot. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's something. Yeah. It's, it's a, a sign that he hasn't forgotten about that universe and, and how much people love it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from what he was saying, like if you have a look at the, at the sort of cameo and, and big, big sort of cast, numbers for the first Jane Silent Bob, there were 22 um, cards at the end for for the, the big ticket um, cameos mm-hmm. slash stars. Mm. There's 44 in reboot. <laughs> oh, jeez. So yeah. he's managed to get that many, like, callbacks and people coming back, um, which is just amazing mm. to, to sort of see. That's what happens in a post-heart attack. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Smith well, and world. I think he's just good at making <laughs> friends in the, in the industry in a lot of ways, yeah. like... Yeah, he's just an affable guy, and he's very genuine, and yeah, he's people like to work with him. So, mm-hmm. okay, so useless trivia. There's 91 f bombs in this movie. Is <laughs> that <Nice>. surprising? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> how, how many c bombs? Uh, uh, <laughs> at least one that I can remember. Yeah. But you mentioned there was a couple. <laughs> I, I think there's like three. Yeah, or I think four there's three or four in, in that, that one, one sentence with the video yeah. titles. So. Yeah. So you mentioned before uh, about the soundtrack budget, Trevor. I think yep. I've got here the film's final cost was two hundred thirty thousand dollars once the rights were covered, and uh, I guess yep. 
adding you know bad religion and some of those kind of punk bands and that kind of thing costs uh like five <laughs> times as much or ten to ten times as much as the original budget just about <laughs> that's nuts yeah <laughs> Okay, that's that's the trivia. We already talked about the alternate ending that got cut, so I won't go into that one. Let's move on to the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. This is a tough one because there's so many little, you know, appearances and characters, and all those people are kind of just either Kevin's friends or, or relatives. So I I think that Jay and Silent Bob both qualify for this. I want to feel like I want to give it to Jason Muse. Is there any other contenders? Um, I kind of like all the characters that Walt Flanagan plays. Um, I, I think he's just got these, um, this sort of way of, of just walking in. It's like, pack of cigarettes. <laughs> you know, and it's like, he, he plays all these different characters and he's he's one of the people that I keep on looking out for in all the different scenes because he's just... It's a fun game. Particularly as a Kevin Smith a, buff. A funny guy. You know, you do notice. Yeah. You do notice the friends. But yeah, I, I reckon yeah. Jason is pretty. Yeah, big. I think I agree that Jay, particularly just for the impact he's then had on the rest of Kevin's, you know, movies, and and you know, obviously they they're based around him as a major character uh, in a big way from that point onwards. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's. I mean, in the sense of you know the award being a spark plug award, it's it's hard to go past him. <laughs> he he might be in the yeah. movie too much, but I think I'm going to give it to him anyway. But shout out to the Russian cousin as well because. Yes. What a, what a performance. <laughs> Olaf. What a performance. Would you like Olaf. some making fuck? Berserker. Berserker. <laughs> oh, that's classic. And I'm guessing. Would you like to suck my. <laughs> I think if you, if you like, put into YouTube like metal cover, there would be so many metal bands. Oh, God. Uh, yes. You might know Trevor, but of people actually like drawing that into a full length song or something. Oh, it's been done. I actually listened to it yesterday. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I knew it. There's knew lyrics it. for everything. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> Oh man. And in fact, if you actually listen in in the movie, there is an there actually, is a um, right. yeah, an that. audio yeah. version in yeah. in the film. Um that's also what I listened yeah. to, the original version. I think Kevin Smith helped write the lyrics to that according to the credits. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So last question. Is it still a good movie? I had yes. I said it's lost the shock value of being outrageous and hilarious, but I think it it really, as I mentioned before, holds up probably better as a statement of the early twenties than as a pure comedy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I I agree. From a, I mean, like I said, a lot of the jokes still hit me, whether that was nostalgia or not. But as a as a movie as a whole, definitely, I feel like it holds up uh, quite well. Yeah, being that um, unlike you guys, it was actually the first foray into Kevin Smith. I I do have you know sort of the rose tinted glasses with this one, but yeah, hundred percent it holds up. Like not so much as a comedy as you said, but um, it still makes me chuckle. Yeah. yeah, and I mean it is different from the other movies we're covering so far, where it's not this huge comic talent like Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler. It's it's really Kevin Smith, the person that's written the movie, that's kind of the big name attached to this. And it it holds up as a Kevin Smith movie more than anything because it's got that kind of pathos. It's got that kind of, you know, serious undertones of of what, like how life can be hard and what it's like to be in your 20s and struggling and not knowing how to have a good relationship and what that looks like. So I think that, you know, not being content with your job, feeling like you're better than where you are, but not being willing to change the situation. That's a theme that comes up again in Clerks 2 and I think that yep. when you pair this with Clerks 2 is when it really works the best I think and you get that kind of continuity and, and sense of, of 
these characters and the depth that this is where they started, this is where they ended up. Especially because Clerks 2 opens with that black and white scene mm. that um, makes it feel like it's, you know, almost the next day. Yeah. Yes, you know that it's it's like, you know, a few years later, but it could it could literally be the next day and, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Then they jump forward in time to them working at the movies. So yeah. it could literally be a direct continuation. So I think you're definitely right there. The Clerks 1 and 2 work together so nicely. I'm going to have to go rewatch Clerks 2 now. <laughs> yeah, we will eventually get to 2000s <laughs> movies on this show after we've oh. covered the 90s and 80s, I think. Feel free to have us back for more rats chasing Amy and Dogma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I might have to share it around. There's a few Kevin Smith fans, but I'll definitely I'll definitely be knocking on your door when we get to some of those indeed. So thank you, dear listeners, for checking out the podcast. As always, the iTunes reviews go a really long way to helping us get out, getting discovered, getting up with those iTunes charts. Podchaser reviews are yeah, amazing pod, too. Podchaser <laughs> reviews. Anywhere you can review. I don't know. There's, there's not enough places to do it, but Podchaser and iTunes are two of them. So do that. Help us out. Put a smile on our dials. And of course, just subscribing, telling your friends that really does make a big difference this is a new podcast so we're essentially starting from zero and trying to watch the numbers go up so we thank you for listening and as always you can catch uh, 8-bit on we are 8-bit you can catch both ben and trevor on bitstorm podcast i know you're not big twitter users but where's the best place for people to catch you on social media uh yes you can just hit up bitstormcast uh on either facebook or twitter and you can go to podchaser.com slash bitstorm and all the episodes are there and, and links to other things so brilliant well you can find me at Jono himself thank you for joining us on comedy rewind and as always dear listeners be kind